to this edition of the Modern Times Podcast. John Guzan here with Karen Weil. And Hi, good morning. Good morning. And we're going to be talking politics, elections, Arizona, national stuff. Um, Karen, it's been like three weeks, I think, since our last uh, political podcast. Um, it it was, yes, yeah, it has. It was right after the Republicans and before the Democrats started, and you had a, a well-deserved vacation um, up to lovely Reno, uh, Tahoe, right? Yes, yes, had a lovely time in Tahoe, my husband and uh, my dog, and and it was uh, a nice break. I didn't watch the news. I assisted with my husband, don't, don't <laughs> turn on any, I, I want to take a break from it, and I did listen to Mrs. Clinton's acceptance speech oh, uh, no. in route to bits of California, so, um, and listened to some of the Democratic Convention as much as I could, um, but otherwise, yes, it was a nice break from the world, and, but, um, Glad to be back in it and following the issues and uh, writing about them, and especially a certain Senate race coming up in November. So I'm exactly. keeping busy. Yeah, and what we're yeah. going to be talking about today um, is a little bit about the presidential election, and then yeah. we're going to try to go to a little bit on the Arizona Senate race here, mm-hmm. both the primary and general, and then we're going to go into the uh, battle for marijuana legalization in Arizona, um, a story yeah. I've been working on. and. Um, let me ask you first, because you know most of the mo- most of our listeners probably don't know that um, we we kind of try to do these on a, on a on a Friday, make them public on a Monday, um, and we mm-hmm. had talked about changing the way we did it, and we're doing that for this podcast because of how quickly <laughs> things seem to fall apart for 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 Donald Trump, and um, mm-hmm. we're in this situation now where we talked about it on Friday and said, hey, let's do this on Monday morning because. Golly, you never know what's going to happen over the weekend with uh, the Donald. Right. And then, lo and behold, Monday morning, <laughs> there's a a current scandal uh, with yep. his campaign director. Uh, yeah. You got anything on that so far, Karen? <laughs> As you probably heard, and maybe some listeners have heard, there's a secret ledger in Ukraine listing camp, cash, excuse me, cash, for a junk. Uh, sorry, top Trump aide, that's a New York Times headline. It involves his uh, campaign manager, Paul Manafort, who has a long history with uh, Republican candidates. Uh, according to the Times article, records show about $12 million in undisclosed cash payments designated for him from a pro-Russian political party from 2007 to 2012. Um, pretty serious stuff. And, and investigators are claiming that the disbursement was uh, part of a, an off-the-book system, you know, where recipients, you know, some of the recipients, excuse me, included election officials. So, you know, there's this, and this is not uncommon for big-time U.S. political aides to be involved in foreign elections. And, and to be fair, there have been some Democratic uh, consultants who have also done that. Um, just, I think, with Russia... Russia's stature haven't fallen a lot in the eyes of many Americans in the last 10 years. Um, this is troubling. I, I think it's safe to say that it is. Uh, again, just because of the reputation of Vladimir Putin. Um, it, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting that Trump has been touting his supposed ties with Putin, although then he'll turn around and claim he, he barely knows him, or he just saw him once. Right, so right. The, the story changes a lot. It's not clear. Um, and the one time he said that he knew him because he spent time on 60 Minutes where they were interviewed separately. 
Right, right. Yes, I'm, I'm sure that there's a ton of bonding that goes on in the green room. <laughs> um, and and there were, I mean, they were in different continents. Uh, but uh, Yes, I believe that I, the last interview I saw, and this was a long time ago, and I was in 2005 on 60 Minutes with the late Mike Waltz, and it was a really good one. Um, and actually, because like many people, when Putin came to power in 2000, uh, to succeed, uh, succeed, Boris Yeltsin, uh, given his KGB past, uh, people were a bit uneasy. I mean, they'd gone for Mikhail Gorbachev, certainly one of the greatest political figures of the 20th century, given uh, what he helped happen, ending communism in Russia and helping to, to really ease tensions. Along, to be fair, Ronald Reagan and George Herbert Walker Bush certainly deserve great credit for that as well. Sure. Um, and it, it seemed like there were a lot of time of, of promise and, and, and renewal for that country. Um, and, of course, then we know in the 90s, not to go off on this too much, Russia, it wasn't exactly the best decade. The economy collapsed. There were all kinds of other problems. You started seeing the breakaway republics happen with Chechnya and other countries. Right. Um, and then Putin, as Putin gained power, one of the things, of course, he is so popular for in that country is helping Russia look like a major power again. Right. Of course, a lot of that has been helped by oil. Um, he was even named Times Person of the Year. Uh, I think that was a pretty good period, I suppose, from a public relations standpoint for him. But, of course, as we know, you know, there have been very suspicious murders of opponents, of journalists where, while well, one couldn't directly point the finger at Putin, there, there are just enough ties there, just enough strange little connections that it obviously has caused a lot of unease among not only other leaders, but the other, you know, countries' residents as well in terms of thinking, who are we dealing with here? Um, and what's interesting about this latest thing with Manafort and how much of this really turns out to be true is anybody's guess. Um, it would not surprise me if it were, but... Again, we need to let all the facts play out and see where this goes. But I find it interesting, John, and you may as well, it seems like Russia's played an odd role in our, I mean, not only from the whole Cold War era, obviously, where that was our main enemy, that was our main problem, and that was what we had to deal with, right? right. Ronald Reagan certainly built part of his legacy on that. Sure. Both good and not, you know, good and maybe things that weren't so good. Um, and then, as we know, when things, the communism ended in 91, and, and it, it looked like maybe the U.S. and the and Russia would become friendly rivals right. and, and work together for genuine common good, um, that, again, that seemed like a promising time. Sure. I mean, um, you know, and I don't I, think you can, I don't think you can argue also that the 90s weren't, weren't, weren't a decent time. I mean, we talk about Yeltsin and his ascendancy, and he really was... Right. I mean, if you remember, you know, if you want to talk about his credibility or, or, or how intoxicated he was most of the time. But he, he, he definitely had some problems. But I think in general, history is going to be fairly kind to him in terms of what, how he led the country and what he was dealing with at, at the time. And I think in general, it's fair to say the U.S. and Russia had a very good relationship for most of the 90s. Yeah. Um, well, true, you know, and, and, and he allowed, you know, Putin to come in, um, I think it was in 96, okay. he joined uh, Yeltsin's administration. That's um, right. And yeah. then by the end of the decade, he was, uh, you know, acting president. And, right. And, but was a, 
you know, a KGB foreign intelligence officer for, for 16 something years, uh, 16, 17 years, something like that. I mean, uh, it's, 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 it's a, it's a very complicated situation when you realize that I think, you know, Yeltsin might've been the only really independently elected, uh, 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 individual ever to run Russia. And, and if you think about, um, you know, what is there now, it's basically an extension of the KGB apparatus is what a lot of people claim. And if you've yeah. seen what they're, what they're doing, I mean, it's kind of like state sponsored, you know, whether they're, 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 they're capitalists now or not. Um, it's a different situation and it becomes, I think, troubling. And, you know, to get back to Trump is the Eastern mm -hmm. European influence in his life. I mean, if you want to, you know, if we right. really want to talk about it, I mean, his 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 first wife was from, you know, where where is Ivanka from for sure? I mean, do we do we remember Ivanka, that? Czech, Czechoslovakia now, the Czech, I believe Czech Republic side of it. Um, it's more his, his wife, Melania, is from the former Yugoslavia, and I think that I guess we're getting some feedback here. Sorry, um, I'm not which country now that that he would be from. Um, well, another woman from Eastern Europe, look, you know, like that, and it's twelve, of course. Um, but it's it's uh, just interesting in terms of when you when you think about Trump seems to be so have affinity for you know the former Eastern Bloc and and Russia, and yet he knows very little about how those countries are run today. All he knows is that they're, they're a big, strong leader. <laughs> right. That's, you know, and that, that is one of the appeals. But I'm going to say also that I just eerie about this latest story with Manafort. Uh, back in 2008, Russia invaded uh, Georgia. And, of course, the, the, the president of Georgia had done a little bit of taunting to Russia because there were already tensions and 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 I, I might I, I think I've got this right here, but basically said by all means you know try and, and try to come in here. Well, of course, obviously, if you're going to taunt Russia, you better be able to you know stand behind that and back it up because we all know how Putin was going to act, and that was to invade. Right. Um, one of the weirder things that came out of that was John McCain made a brief platform in his presidential campaign back in 2008 defending the, the rights of, of Georgia, which which could be understandable, and saying, oh, we're all Georgians now. Right. And uh, that gave him a little bit of traction, you know, in the summer, uh, earlier summer of 08. But one of the weirder things about that is the president of Georgia, and this has you know, been reported many times, basically said he had met with Karl Rove, who was indirectly working with McCain's campaign, of course, he tried to, Rove tried to keep a low profile because, again, we're going back to ancient history here. You know, he had run, we considered a really dirty campaign against John McCain in the 2000 primary. Of course, Rove, Rove's candidate being George W. Bush. Right. That's a lot of, I think, you know, resentment, obviously, on McCain's part and his people and, and Republicans who supported him. Um, I, and I think later McCain's sort of cuddling up to Rove's people, I think, turned off a lot of, of Democrats and liberals who had been a lot of goodwill for McCain. Um, you know, and I think, frankly, if McCain had been the nominee in 2000, he probably would have won handily um, because of that appeal. 
But again, that's that's going into a lot of inside baseball here. But the thing, and I'm sorry for going off on that, but the thing that the Georgian president said is Rove had told them, more or less, that they would have U.S. military support if Russia invaded. So as we all know, while the Bush administration gave humanitarian support, it certainly did not want to get involved militarily with that. And I, I think for reasons that are more than understandable. Um, so that, that whole episode was just bizarre. And it, it, it just, it's, it's just troubling the kind of role Russia seems to play in terms of our, our, some of our elections, um, which I don't think it should be playing. Right. Frankly. Um, and yes, it's an important country, a country we do a lot of business with, a country whose relationship has been rocky uh, over the last 10 or so years for, for various reasons. Uh, so, yeah, this is just a, a very strange episode now in this campaign. And I I, I don't think it helps Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, I, he's already in a lot of trouble, as we're seeing. And, again, I am one of those people who say the only poll that matters is the one on Election Day. Right. When everybody votes. Well, you know, um, you know speaking but, about but polls. Place there, right now. That's pretty obvious. You know, there hasn't been a poll um, in August that shows Trump with a lead. Um, nationally, um, Correct. in all the swings, all the important swing states that we've talked about um, before, uh, Florida, uh, Ohio, uh, mm-hmm. uh, even Wisconsin, I think they were talking about a potential swing state, Pennsylvania, um, all those are trending towards Clinton. Uh, right. And there's even some that I guess are, 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 are possible um, that, that weren't swing states in the past, one, Arizona. Uh, you know, which is possibly uh, open for Clinton, Georgia, uh, yeah. uh, and um, even possibly Texas. I've even uh, been reading some headlines, uh, you know, recently right. that it's only I, a few points where I, it usually gets well, too. slammed. Um, I think for, I think Gary Johnson, the, the Libertarian candidate for governor, I think he's willing to start cutting the Trump, Trump support here. I, I think for Republicans, it just cannot vote for Trump and you know, don't want to vote for Clinton. They look at Johnson as a legitimate alternative. Um, and Johnson actually polls have shown him meeting with 18 to 24-year-olds. Now, again, that's a, that's a demographic, and, and there's no doubt they're important, but whether or not they show up as they should, that remains to be seen. They meet very well, but Johnson has a lot of sweat with them and interestingly enough, as Bernie Sanders did, we know right. um, from countless news stories. So I, I think, I think in part, Johnson is a factor here. But again, I, I just think at the end of the day, it's, it's Trump himself that's that's the factor here. And it was interesting. I was listening to a, a, a podcast uh, featuring Cliff Schechter, who's a well-known liberal political commentator and strategist, and, and he said something recently that I, I thought was very interesting just about Trump. And this was before the GOP convention, and he got the bounce, and, you know, right. and, but he just said the guy cannot help himself. Yeah. He's just, he's simply, his ego is, is just too large and out of control to be tamed to make him a truly viable presidential candidate and that's why you're, you're seeing more articles where the, the main GOP leadership is just 
I don't want to, I mean, it looks like they're starting to really just kind of throw up their hands and say, okay, we can't do this anymore. We can't go any farther with this. We can't do anything more to help this man because he does not want it. Right. Um, that That is just to me, I can't recall a presidential election, and even in the 2008, to go back to John McCain and, of course, his choice of Sarah Palin, which I, I think it's pretty safe to say cost him that election. It didn't do him any favors, that's for sure. Um, didn't do him any favors. Uh, but I, I think, well, McCain was looked at certainly as a legitimate, you know, candidate with a, a good amount of support. Clearly, Palin did not have that. Right. Uh, was not looked at as legitimate, was not looked at as viable or reasonable or anything else. And I, I would say there's a, there's a, a, a comparison there. Except this time it's the, the presidential nominee. I mean, Mike Pence, frankly, to me, from everything I'm seeing, and I will say that I think Pence gave, just on the merits of the presentation and whatnot, a, a solid speech at the RNC convention. He came yeah. off as, I think... But he doesn't reach... I don't really think he reaches those people that support Trump. I think they I'll they be, they I'll see him as those that. people that Trump is railing against, and, you know... Right. I would agree with you on that, but Pence himself came off, I suppose, as somewhat warm and likable. Sure. I'm not saying that or I don't think that. But he, he had he but again he's not whereas I think Tim Kaine is helping Hillary Clinton somewhat. I just think Pence has no effect. To me it's almost like Paul Ryan right. in twenty twelve. Another nominee, you know, despite all the promise and, and I'm not to say that he might not be a player in twenty twenty or run or in a future election. He's certainly young enough. But he, he really did nothing to help Mitt Romney. Romney. Right. And uh, most people don't vote on the VP. But sometimes when you have the right person, like Joe Biden, I think, who helped Barack Obama quite right. a bit, right, right. I think with not the right nominee, it can make a difference. I, I just think Pence It's so some far, of the background, too, I think. You know, it gives you a little bit of that, of that, of that 20, 30-year experience and having a lot of connections and being able to go out on the trail and seeing people that you've seen before. You know, I, 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 you know, before I have some comments to talk a little bit about Trump and, and his like uh, self torpedoing of his candidacy. But you did mention Johnson, and I, I kind of wanted to mention that um, mm-hmm. it's kind of unfortunate that the debates put the the Commission on Presidential Debates puts a fifteen percent uh, uh, bottom limit on who can participate, and Johnson's been polling at about eight, so he needs to double yeah. that. Um, in the next, I think, uh, less than a month. I mean, I think it's the beginning of September, I think, is when they solidify exactly who's going to be there. So it's not like the night right. before he can all of a sudden have, you know, be over 15% in a poll. He's got to do this pretty quick here. I don't know exactly well, what I the agree. date is. I, I don't know if Johnson can have the same effect Ross Perot did. In well, I mean, don't you I mean, think that I, him... I, know, yeah, I, I tend to not think conventional the narrative to be annoying because
are people who are, quote, you know, more reasonable Republicans who just, again, can't, can't bear to vote for this guy and won't do it. And, and, but, and again, we'll see on November 8th. But I, I think, I think, I think, you know, because he's, he's had name recognition really for the last 16 years since he was so public with talking about legalizing drugs. Speaking of marijuana and uh. other things. And that gave him a national platform. I think he certainly comes into this race far stronger than, say, Jill Stein, who most people accept for the progressive, real progressive base just don't know and probably would not support under any circumstance, candidly. Right. There, you know, there is something to be said, don't you think, for, though, you know, and the point I was trying to make is you get somebody at 15% um, who, you know, can just barely qualifies, but because mm-hmm. they finally get the national platform and debate with the other two candidates, it, it, it gives them greater legitimacy and can potentially propel their candidacy a little bit further than it might have been in the first place. Um, yes, and, and when you don't allow them to be there, um, you know, you might get some of these people that are swinging Johnson or swinging Stein, um, but, but because they're not going to participate in the debate, that some of that uh, support might erode because they, they only see the Trump-Clinton thing, uh, you well, know, show. Well, absolutely. I think it's Johnson, if, again, the debate seems to me at this point to be very up in the air because Trump... You know, they're making all these teasing comments about the only debate if it's on their terms, blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, do you really think that Trump can't? I mean, I, I mean, I, a lot of the stuff I've read, you know, from, from some of the insiders is, you know, that, that, that he's trying to get leverage um, in order to get certain things course, like the moderator absolutely. or whatever. Um, but do you think he really has that leverage? Because if he, if he literally tries to... Uh, uh, you know, push it to the point that either he fights it really publicly um, on what the details are, or if he backs out um, completely, doesn't he just basically throw uh, his cards in? Doesn't he fold the election if he decides, especially trailing in the polls, which is, you know, usually, right. you know, political wisdom says the challenger needs to show up. Um, and, Absolutely. you know, and so does he, does he, does he default on the election if he doesn't participate in these debates? I think if he does that, and again, I hate making predictions, I think Clinton will leave it because, and that's going to turn off even some of his more hardcore supporters are going to think, are you kidding? You're not even going to debate her. Um, I, I, and, and say we feel about Hillary Clinton, I, I will say there's no question this time this year, she's a far better candidate than she was in 2008. Right. Um, far better. Um, and she she's no slouch at debating, as as we've seen not only with presidential matchups, uh, but also her Senate race in, in New York. Um, I, I you know the Trump people surely must know that. Uh, so, but if he decides not to do this, it may not cost. I mean, again, I don't think for most of his hardcore supporters it's going to matter. But it, it's certainly for people who are in the middle or haven't decided. And let's say for a fairly percentage of, of people who were in his camp, that that's just going to be a real turnoff. And so I, you know, it's just amusing right now to right now to watch this weird dance that they're doing. Uh, you know, for all we know, it could be Hillary Clinton and Gary Johnson, which will only help Gary Johnson, or even we 
Trump is in there, I still think that's going to help Barry Johnson if he does well. Okay. And, you know, so. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's let's be the devil's advocate here. Let's, uh, sure. you know, what Trump has been arguing is the media is not paying attention to Democratic um, controversies. Uh, anything that Clinton has in her closet, they they don't care about the emails. They don't care. You know, Benghazi's basically no one really seems to care much anymore. Um, you know, immigration does have have its 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 you know folks that really find that to be a bellwether topic. Um, right. You know, but you know, there's not anything that's sticking to Hillary now. Is this? Do we? I mean, it 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 almost seems like people are just. Everyone wants to see the wreck on the highway, and that's Donald Trump's campaign at this point. And no yeah. one wants to watch the cars just going right down the freeway in in non rush hour on a Sunday afternoon. And that seems like Clinton's campaign. And I. I can't seem to remember another time where one candidate got left. I mean, she doesn't, you rarely see her these days. It's like, you know, she's winning a campaign by being absent, it seems almost like. And again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not criticizing her policies because again, you know, you have to understand that there's somebody who's, who served in public life has been under a microscope of, of transparency for the most part. I mean, even the Clinton Foundation's a nonprofit group, so their books are open. Um, yeah. She's been first lady. She's been a senator and a secretary of state, and you only can be so secretive um, within those positions. Not like when you're a private developer or a private citizen like Trump has been. So it's a totally Correct. different thing. But she still is running a campaign where she's winning by not doing much. Um, I agree, absolutely. And that seems like the the strategy upon the Clinton people. Look, she's in one quantity. She's been in the public spotlight, the international spotlight, for 25 years now. Uh, and exposed to things and been part of things which, again, I think would have pretty much ended any other politician's career. That's not to infer that she is any, you know, anything to be terrible or any worse than anyone else, but you know what I mean. It's just the nature of the, some of these scandals and, of course, our her husband's past behavior, et cetera, and so forth. Um, and I think people, the, the campaign people are, are figuring, people know her. Now they have an opinion, one way or the other. Um, and we don't need to throw her at him. She's going to do her thing, and she's going to stay out of that whole fray, um, attack Trump on legitimate issues, kind of stay out of the other craziness as best they can. And it's, it seems at this point to be a working strategy for her. Now, does that mean if she still win by a landslide? No, I don't think so. Um, but, it, like, again, this just seems like a smart strategy on her part and on her people's right. part for yeah. now. We'll yeah, see I mean, again what happens over the next two to three. And you know, months. is there? Yeah, it's it does seem like there's a difference. Um, you know, and again, playing devil's advocate, looking at it from from you know either you know supporters of the GOP or Trump supporters, um, that the media is covering certain things or is keeps digging, and they say, well, no one's digging on 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 Hillary, but when you go into some of the substance, it seems like it's just not as much there um and then 
it kind of seems to me like you know you have you know, Trump used Twitter and and uh, on air interviews to really propel his primary campaign. Um, right. and really might be remembered in you know twenty thirty years of what not and how not to run a campaign on social media. Um, Correct. That's, that's, especially you when you get to the general election. What also helps is all billions of dollars of media exposure he got, and and people blame the the national media cable news networks for doing that, not so much newspapers and, and things like that. Uh, you know, he benefited from that. Um, but I certainly think there have been plenty of stories about Mrs. Clinton, we could say, over the last year or so, which were certainly not flattering. I mean, the, of course, the whole, as we, you know, you said, the whole email issue um, was certainly troubling. But it was, to me, very interesting when Colin Powell, and I believe one of Condoleezza Rice's uh, people. Right. Granted, you Republicans, and I, you know, although they seem to be, you know, Republicans who are, well, in the case of Powell especially, pretty moderate and do not like to get into the mud, um, both said, look, we did the exact same thing. So, you know, if you're going to go after her, then, okay, go after us. Because the, the reality of being in that role and dealing with, incredibly uh, tense and, and, you know, powder keg issues in the Middle East and elsewhere. It's, you know, one thing changes each moment. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. And and so, you know, you can't necessarily be sharing everything with the world because of of the kind of ripple effect that can have, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. Um, And I, you know, I I mean, that's been kind of a hallmark of, of diplomacy for any nation with any sense since time in memoriam. Um, I will say that as a journalist, I, you know, while I want transparency, I can understand sometimes why agencies do keep certain things private. Does that excuse Clinton's clumsiness and all of this? No, it does not. Um, but again, she's not the first. She won't be the last. And I, I think that's how a lot of Americans look at this. Yeah, she screwed up. We're not, we're not blown to pieces by this. I'm willing to give her a pass. But I'll keep an eye on her. Right. And fair enough, as we should be doing with any public official. Sure. Uh, but again, I just think Mrs. Clinton has, I, I don't want to say this kind of invulnerability to her because that's just not true. But she's, you know, they call Trump Teflon, but I, I'd say Clinton is pretty darn close to that as well. Although I, I, I don't know if Trump is Teflon anymore, given. Uh, his well, I mean, you know, is, as you mentioned, but, he's probably Teflon for his supporters. I mean, he's got some core support, supporters who, but, who will never sway. You know, he will get thirty to forty percent of the vote. Precisely. You know, no matter whether he, if he took that, uh, uh, you know, some of these people at the rallies, if he literally beat them up on stage, he probably still would get thirty percent. Oh dear God! Right. <laughs> um, I, I think against Clinton because of her, the reasons I said she just has a better coat of armor. Um, and it, it, it so far has helped her. And it's, you know, and it is the anti-Trump. She, you know, she is the anti-Trump Absolutely. candidate. And it's it's not so much, you know, I mean, a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, uh, public we, opinion polls that have come out have, have basically said, you know, it's as much of the, I don't want to vote for Trump voting for Hillary as anything else. And if they had a, the Republicans would have put forth a, a, a legit candidate, a main, more mainstream person like, Jeb Bush or John Kasich or somebody right. like that, 
Um, I think I think the polls would be well. I think for Casey especially, I think Jeb Bush had a lot of problems, but I, I think especially with Casey, it, I think we'd see a very different set of polls right now. Right. If he had a good campaign that was inclusive and and he tamped down on the the real hardcore conservative stuff again, and had somebody like Susana Martinez of New Mexico as right. his vice presidential pick, we, again the, the polls would be very different right now. Yeah, and you know it's a. Uh... It's 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 going to be interesting to see what happens uh, if everything stays on its current course. We're talking, you know, five or six points down nationally, um, mm-hmm. and 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 down in all these all these states, as we know, uh, and, and anyone who really follows politics knows, it's not the national polls that matter. It's these battleground states that do, and right. you know, um, you and know, it turnout, you know, turnout, of course, will be the factor here. And I think the narrative that oh, turnout is going to be really depressed. I, you know, we're starting to see that change now. It, it seems like more people really are interested in following this election. And, and if you've heard stories about registration being very high in certain states. So if that trajectory continues, I mean, again, that generally is going to help whoever the Democrat is, not only for the presidential election, but in down ticket races as well. So, again, we'll, we'll see. Well, who knows? I mean, I don't think yeah. it could get any worse for Trump. I think the last time we had our podcast, <laughs> we were talking about his bounce, talking about how people had seen it and what, what, what the Democrats were going to do. And, you know, three weeks later, because of our you know vacations, we didn't do it two weeks. We're going to try to hopefully do these every two weeks. Um, right. It's it's completely turned on its head. I mean, it's gone from a... Oh, absolutely. And I, I think Mrs. Clinton gave even some of her tougher critics acknowledged she gave a good speech. Yeah, very for her. Good. I mean, she's not really a very good order. I mean, we have no, to... No, she's not her husband. She's not Barack Obama. She's not... But again, she has certainly improved over the years in terms of, of being a speech maker. And and I, again, I think I wouldn't... You know, I wouldn't call it a, a get-it-out-of-the-park speech, but I would say it was a solid home run uh, for her. And I, I thought this is going to help her a lot. I think, you know, I'm not going to, who knows what's going to happen in November, I think, but this is going to definitely help her get out of the starting gate. And, and you know, along with Bernie Sanders' willingness to support her, um, I think that certainly helps, too, with some progressives who were not thrilled with her. Yeah, I saw, uh, so, I saw, again, I saw a recent... Been working in her favor. Yeah, there was a recent poll came out said that... Um, her numbers among, among millennials, which had been completely underwater when Bernie was still alive, no, have now reversed. And she has, you know, she picked up all but like 5% of, of the hardcore Bernie people. Um, yeah. You know, and they're still out there, you know, people who will never support Hillary, but um, it's not going to really throw the election. Just like, you know, Trump can't say because he only won 40% of the Republican delegates. But that means like sixty percent of the rebu- of the Republican base is really against him. Um, but that's you know like we talked about last time, it was his advantage by you know he talks about how he defeated seventeen people, but that was really at his advantage because he really split that vote and was able to get a a smaller number to win a lot of those areas early on, right. especially. Um, and, right. and you know it was just a completely different thing. Uh, uh, but anyway. Um, We'll see what happens in two weeks. Um, yeah, let's let's uh, let's let's go to our homegrown Senate race. 
Um, John McCain supports Donald Trump, sort of, which is really basically the only thing that's kind of hanging out there right now. It's what the political stuff is. It's a very, another spring dance. About a month ago, it seemed like Kelly Ward, um, there was a poll that came out, um, I think it was in, let's see, uh, in late June, uh, public, public policy polling um, put... McCain at 39 and Ward at 26. And then um, there was a recent, the, the a new poll, which just came out like four days ago from Data Orbital that said that, that McCain had finally gotten over 50% and Ward had dropped to 29%. That's, I saw that uh, a Data Orbital poll. I've never heard of this organization, but, you know, there are so many. Uh, yeah. Well, it's 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 headed by a guy who was the former political director for the Arizona Republican Party. Yeah, so, right. You know, grains yeah. of salt here. <laughs> right. It's. I mean, clearly, you would think so, Kane. But it, we, you know, in the past, the had tougher, tougher competitors. It was J.D. Hayworth, right, who was challenging him in 2010. Uh. It might on that and he it, it looks pretty bad for McCain at that time um he prevailed of course prevailed over his democratic opponent quite handily um you would think this time around he would be an even easier battle for him but it, it just seems like war is I, I know one of the other uh, Republican contenders dropped out and I don't have their name, um, and and the two others that are there are not considered serious challengers, with all due respect, uh-huh. um, to him at all. It, it seems like Ford is, you know, she's hanging in there. She's still, you know, trailing for sure, but she, she definitely seems to be a, a, a pretty tough candidate. You know. It's what what she can you know tie herself into though is a you know like we said that last poll um, was done by you know the former political director for the Arizona Republican Party you know McCain basically mm-hmm. runs the political establishment the at least the Republican political establishment in this state um, you know he's he is well known here it it is always a a, a huge challenge and especially from somebody like Ward who was basically an Arizona state senator she's really the the representative of the Tea Party movement. In 2010, when Hayworth went, it was the beginning of the Tea Party movement. Some of them went to him, and then they realized they really didn't have a Tea Party candidate, Um, you know, besides maybe Chris Simcox, who, again, it was just, you know, we we talked about him, I I think, on our last podcast, the, the, uh, you know, the the, uh, border patriots or the border Minutemen, right? Um, Chris Simcox, he ran, he was one of the Tea Party guys, and I think he ended up getting uh, double digits, I think, in the election, I think, in the primary. Um, he got a lot, da, 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 no, he ended up getting n- nothing. He got 11.7. Um, <laughs> Not much. But, 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 but he was polling um, at least at 17%. Uh, in, in, in September, he must have decided not to run, but he was the guy that they were trying to get. Um, the you know part of the Tea Party movement, and now you know he's he she's running against it. Some of the things she said, uh, you know, they call her Chemtrail Kelly. 
Um, she's kind of on the, on, on the fringe, if, if you know, and for those people who might not know about what happens in the Arizona uh, uh, legislative branch here, um, a lot of people with a lot of different and, and, and views on, on what's going on. Um, so she's kind of espoused some weird things. I think showing that she was kind of coming up close was a little bit negligible. Um, so... I don't think she's got a chance um, at the end of this month. I mean, we're, we're, we're only talking two weeks away. I know you've yeah. been trying to work yeah. on this story. Is that the one, the one, you did get her, right? I mean, I, I think yeah, the I one that we haven't gotten any comment from is Kirkpatrick. Stephen Sebastian. Um, I did a phone interview with him. Um, and, of course, one of Sebastian's main, main complaints is that McKinney will not debate her. And I, I do not hope there are no debates set up between us. When a given for just two weeks from the primary, um, it seems unlikely that he would, uh, because he had enough to lose by not doing so. Um, and, and, of course, I guess McCain's uh, spokesperson has not said whether he will, but I can't see that happening. So, and then that doesn't help Lord because that's less exposure for her in terms of being able to really take him on and, and you know, state her case as to why people in the Republican primary should give her that chance. And she's trying to paint um, uh, McCain as also a, uh, a, a friend of, of Hillary Clinton. You know, that's been the attack ads that we've been seeing on television here uh, in Arizona, on, on the web. Um you know, that they agree on issues such as amnesty for illegal immigrants, opposing tax cuts, you know, uh, blocking conservative judges. Um, right. You know, uh, it doesn't seem like it's 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 going very far. Uh, hard right. enough to unseat a sitting uh, Republican senator, don't you think? I mean, most conservative conservatism typically uh, leads to incumbents. Um, being supported, um, you know that does not isn't always the case. Uh, Eric Cantor, I think, is a is a is a yes, that's a, right. A good that's example of that. I mean, the Tea Party pretty movement. shocking to see by David Brad, who's now the congressman. It looks like he's probably going to win his race. So you know, and yeah, you know, while Cantor was a a representative, not a senator, um, it still happens. Uh, but especially the Senate seats. Um, you have somebody like McCain who's ran for president uh, several times. Um, it's hard to unseat him in a primary. Um, nearly impossible. Um, so let's just say Ward gets dispatched. Um, McCain's got a big, still a big challenge against Kirkpatrick, though, don't you think? I mean, that's a different, totally I mean, different it's animal. Because of just exposure and kind of background, she's from a long, you know, and a family in Arizona for many generations. She's from a slightly more rural state. Um, and it seems like Patrick, which I find interesting, she's fairly liberal in her viewpoint that she doesn't seem to apologize for them um, from what I've seen. Now, and that's, it, it's, you know, interestingly enough, it doesn't seem like it's hurt her that much so far, but maybe just because enough voters don't know them yet. Mm-hmm. Um and she has said, uh, you know, and I, you know, she said, yes, this is for Hillary Clinton for president. Um, you know, you're not looking at something like, and again, who knows what will happen if she's really questioned and things look like they're 
you know, it looks like it's, it's, she's trailing by more than people might think. But I don't think we're going to see a situation where, as you recall, in the 2014 Senate race for Kentucky, uh, the Democratic opponent, uh, Allison Lundgren, basically wouldn't answer if she voted for Barack Obama or not. Right. And, and just, she was ahead of, of, of Mitch McConnell and might have won, but she just handled that so, so clumsily and badly that you know, it's one of the reasons she lost. Uh-huh. Um, and, I, you know, for, for Patrick, I suppose if they – if if the Kings people really want to make that an issue, you know, she's she's either going to have to double down on it or say, you know, you work for the Senate, you know, don't, don't be suddenly turning around and acting as if you've ever had anything to do with her. Sure. Uh, you know, there's, there's several facts that Patrick, I, I mean, I, looking at everything about her, she's to me, and I, I might be wrong on this, she seems to be the strongest Democratic opponent McCain has had in some time. Oh, you know... <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you can't you can't argue that, Uh, you know, the Democrats in Arizona, I think, really missed the boat in who they put up um, against Jeff Flake. Um, Right. And and so, you know, they Rodney Glassman, I think, or uh, what was that gentleman's name? I can't remember. Um, But anyway, uh, they didn't really put anybody. Uh, up against against Flake that was that was worth it, um, uh, and now he's going to be going against somebody who at least had a uh, who's you know been in the House of Representatives um, has some sort of uh, you know credibility behind her, but also the fact, and then we run into if Arizona becomes in play, because that's the other thing that, you know, they talk about Trump all the time, affecting down ticket races. Um, And if Arizona does become in play because they think, hey, if I get Arizona's electoral votes, they're basically there at this point. Um, What happens um, if if Arizona becomes in play and and Clinton makes campaign stops, um, they start spending money here. Um, You know, does it, does it affect Kirkpatrick's ability to fight against McCain? Uh, you know, Carmona was really tough. It was Richard Carmona who went against Jeff Flake, um, and lost by two percentage points, I think. Um, yeah. But it, again, it was not Arizona wasn't in play in 2012. He didn't get much national help. Um, right. Not like Kirkpatrick has the possibility to do, so that might be another thing that's that's possibly in play. I think the in the last poll was, I mean, there hasn't been any polling in, until June since June. Um, there was I two. There was two polls. Either. Yeah, one was five point five McCain up one McCain up two, um, but he's obviously, you. you know, doing uh, you know facing a tight race here, especially for somebody of his stature. Um, it's going to be something that probably is going to come down to the wire. Oh, I, I agree with that. I, I absolutely do. I think, again, and I think I mentioned this in the past, but I think the same sort of stuff is um, it, 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 a long timer syndrome. It's the same thing that Harry did and what Harry Reid is not taking another term. After some decades, I think people just become Democrat or Republican. People become tired of that person in office. And it's it seem like vulnerable, and if they have as much as much of a as McCain does, the baggage that comes with it, or not to him. Uh, 
ready to make that change and put something different in office. Um, I mean, from what I've seen over the years, frankly, to start with, really conservative Republicans have not been good for a very long time. Uh, I'd say almost 20 years, and you may agree with me on that or not. Uh, it's why that won him so much goodwill from the Democrats and people not normally inclined to support a Republican. Right. Uh, so he's got the problem, and I think there's just a difference that, you know, that doesn't protect yeah. Just a sense people are really tired of him. And, and again, not to minimize or anything else, and, and you know, keep one little bit, no one would deny that. But again, it's just that, it's just that too familiar thing. And, and I, I think Putin and Trump are that whole other uh, problem for him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think Trump's a big issue for McCain, and it's going to be. I, I really do Sean. think that it. I think he is. You know, it does play down. The people that Trump, you know, we talked about turnout a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, the people that are turned out will, will be turned out by Trump. It all really depends, I think, on who shows up on Election Day. If his, if it ends up being that those folks that support Trump really show up because they want to get their vote in, um, and and the people who are more mainstream Republicans or traditional Republicans, who is really the base of McCain support, if they stay right. home um, in Arizona, he loses. And if the Trump the Trumpkins okay. or the Trumpites or whatever you want to call them, if they sh- if they're the only ones who show up, McCain likely loses. I think because they won't vote for Kirkpatrick, but they won't vote for Trump. I think they, they they I mean I mean for McCain. I think that it, it, at anything, because I, as far as I know, there's not a third party candidate running, but I just don't think that they'll they'll check the ballot. Um, it'll be a situation well, in Arizona you, where you, I, I think that's a argument. You know, they they'll say, "I'm not voting for Kirkpatrick, but I'm not voting for Trump, for McCain either." And when it comes out, you know, she might get take that to an advantage. Um, but we'll see. We'll have to see whether, because I also think that a lot of those 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 traditional McCain supporters will vote for him and vote won't vote for for Trump for president. So you know, if if they're able to get those people out, those people who just say, "I look, I can't vote for Trump. I'm going to go and vote, and I'm not going to vote for him. I'm either not going to you know check his name, or I'm going to check uh, Johnson or Stein." And a lot of them won't cross the aisle and vote for Hillary. But they, right. but they will definitely still vote for McCain. So I think that turnout, and 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 then I think that's a, um, a, a something that program programmatically across the country, what they're going to have to do is where typically it's the general election and these general elections like this, it's the presidential uh, part of the campaign that really does the get out the vote, and everyone else rides those coattails. And in this case, in this election. Especially on the GOP side, they're going to have to do individual get out the vote efforts. Um, it's going to be even more important for McCain to just get McCain people out there. Um, whereas usually you don't do that because it's coattails. Right. No, I, I, I don't think it's McCain campaign much in terms of doing just one to say. 
definitely going to be a, a very interesting election night. I haven't been this uh, uh, interested in what's going to happen when we're having so many unknown X factors, I think. Um, although it just seems, I mean, it's just a completely different election. And again, we all seem to know those times where you're at kind of a a important part in history. And, and sometimes you are and sometimes you aren't. 2012 just kind of didn't seem like it was all that important. Um Although, you know, at the time, people take it very seriously, obviously, of course, but it just seems like, you know, when our, our, our heirs to this great experiment called democracy are looking back 50 to 100 years from now, this uh, election in 2016 is going to be one of those ones that um, still garners uh, uh, ample space in history texts. Um, oh, I agree. You know, I agree. It's one of those it bellwethers. It's the election that really, and I, again, I, I know the term changer can be overused and, and not always true, but this one could be, again, a level we've never seen, for, for better or worse. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about people who are running for office, but there's also the other um, issue that we have on the ballot this year, at least in Arizona, possibly, is an initiative to legalize marijuana. Um, uh, I attended uh, a court case on uh, Friday um, on on whether it's going to actually qualify for the ballot. The opponents are trying to fight it on on some legal means, and we'll get into that later. But the background is there were supposed to be two initiatives. One made it, um, and the one that made it got 177,000 signatures uh, uh, verified by the Secretary of State's office. This was on Thursday. Um, was it's called Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol, supported by the uh, medical marijuana dispensaries, um, which were licensed, which are licensed right now. Um, so it's, if, if approved by the judge uh, who looked at it on, on Friday and is going to be making a ruling at some point this week, probably later in the week, Thursday, I think they have to have the final situation has to be remedied by at some point in September or else they can't print the ballots on time. Um, so the crux of the argument and, and the reason why in the story that I'm, I'm almost done with here, we're going to run, it was like, it was almost like the twilight zone is because you had people, you had the opponents to the initiative who are basically fighting, uh, legalization, which is really being at least outwardly, uh, funded by the Arizona chamber of commerce and industry, which is run by a guy who ran the Arizona Republican party, uh, a Glenn Hamer, Hammer. Um, yes. They're they're arguing that it was the people who signed the petitions didn't really know what they were signing, and that's oh. why the judge should throw it out. Um, the argument is that there's their Arizona law says there has to be a hundred word summary, and it's a nine thousand word initiative with a lot of detail. Uh, and obviously taking 9,000 words and making it seem 
understandable in a hundred words is what the proponents of the bill are saying is that it's it's virtually impossible so they tried to do the best they could and they got as much of the information and basic gists that people would have to be concerned about um, and they're also arguing, yeah, and we understand that people are going to have to read it. We trust the electorate to read the bill and either to vote it for or vote against come election day. And that's what you should do. Um, and right. and the reason why I was kind of like the Twilight Zone is because you have um, these people which are against it, basically saying that, yeah, well, we, you know, it's fine for people to do it. We just think that they're being duped. Um, Interesting. It really was one of those situations where we all know what happens in courtrooms. Um, yes. But the disingenuousness, I think, of of both sides. Um, you have the, you know, it really it allows the dispensaries to get first come first served on being these legal uh, these legal dis, um, uh, sellers of marijuana allows them to really start to grow and do things um, in different ways. But, you know, it's also the fear mongering um, and, it, and it's a political issue that's 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 not being couched that way. And that's for one little bit of the credit that I think I had to give to the proponents of this bill of, or of, of this initiative and, and, and potential proposition. Um, you know, at least they're saying um, that they want to have the people vote on it, I think. Um, but at the same time. It really is, you know, a way, you know, these people are protecting their own assets. Um, They didn't want legalization to come through these medical marijuana dispensary owners. They spent a lot of money to get their licenses, to do their things. And I'm sure they're making a lot of money. Um, And so they can afford to do all this and pay all the uh, canvassers that they did. I mean, it actually was in the same run out of the top office of, in a temporary office of where Modern Times Magazine has its offices in downtown Phoenix. And I don't know if I shared this with you, but when we were out covering Comic-Con, there was these people that were out in the corner of uh, Washington and 3rd Street. And that's where they gathered a lot of signatures for for, for potential Prop 205. Um, and so the next week... I go into the office like on Monday and I see these same people that were out there that I saw all weekend at Comic-Con are, are in our parking lot. <laughs> you know, we share it. We don't own our building. You know, we just rent a little office. And I saw all these canvassers there. So they had a temporary office where they did some of their stuff at, at our building. I tried to go up there and talk to anybody and nobody was, the door was really literally locked. They opened it and let the canvassers in. They paid them for their signatures and then they let them go. So obviously they have, they have funding, um, and it's from the dispensary owners. Um, but what, you know, there's still, the legislation was, it seemed to me like it went kind of overboard. Like they, they didn't allow any, any wiggle room. Everything is set out, even enforcement, um, how they, how they deal with people, what is illegal, um, you know. What what happens if a kid under twenty one um, gets sold some marijuana? Because it's basically legal for anybody above twenty one. You can have up to six plants for a personal person, um, and up to twelve plants in a household. Um, but otherwise, you could just go buy it like alcohol. And they say there's certain other regulations that are a lot like alcohol. Um, but you have these right. opponents really fighting it on the grounds that 
they thought that people were being duped. Um, where, you know, the the attorney uh, for for the bill um, and backed by the dispensary owners, you know, is basically saying, well, it's a bill. It's too. There's been a lot of others. Uh, they talked about the Citizens Clean Election Initiative, which is about ten thousand words as well. There's been others that go through with a, a a very large number of words, and that the summary has to be that just that a summary. Um, but it's you know it's it's a very it's it's unknown what what the judge is going to do. I think you know you saw that there were some of the news outlets really took some of the stuff that. They're basically in the pocket of the of chamber of commerce and industry. Um, the guy that runs it, the CEO, was sitting right next to the Republic reporter, um, you know, for the Arizona Republic, um, for AZ Central, um, sitting next to her uh, as she was taking notes for her story. Um, you know, chit chatted a few times. You know, they obviously were talking even before that. Um, some of the information was funny. The same things that you know, the AZ Central Arizona Republic, they're kind of like sister companies with Channel Twelve. That Channel 12 story that was written, you know, basically took the argument of the of the opponents of the initiative, um, whereas they're saying, well, DUIs will no longer be able to be done against people who smoke marijuana and um, or who ingest it. Um, you know, to me, I don't see that reading the initiative. I think that's you know something that's completely not there. It says that it's not based upon the sole basis that just because they have marijuana in their system, they're not impaired. That you have to prove impairment above having it in your body um which is now it's not necessarily the case um so it's you know it's a little bit of scare tactics and not uh, i think that'll be another interesting one um you know we talk a little bit about um turning out the vote um i really don't think that the you know 170 180,000 people that they got to sign the petition were duped i, I don't think that there's anything it were from reading the initiative, there's not really much in there that they would be surprised about. Now, there was a couple surprises, which I had heard, is that they're going to establish their own set of, of what they call peace officers um, to, to, to go and, and enforce these laws. Um, but other than that, it's, 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 it's setting up a new organization. It's almost like the Board of Liquor Licenses, I think, is it's what I would equate it to. Um, and so, but I think it's the turnout that that might change it, what kind of turnout that being on the ballot. And I don't know how much that would have to do with, with what the political situation is, whether they don't want it on the ballot. As we know, the defensive marriage, all those defensive marriage acts, they felt really helped Republican candidates. This could be another sideline bill, which is really why some of these other folks are against it too. They don't want to get that greater, um, what they consider liberal turnout, and, and, and there can't be any—I don't think—any denying that there's more of the, of the of of liberals who would be supporting legalization than there are conservatives or even Trumpkins. Um, I don't know. So, did you did did I enlighten you on anything? Uh, well, you, I mean, you did. I, I live in California. Don't hate me too much. Um, no. As you heard. <laughs> There also there's a marijuana legalization initiative on the ballot here. It sounds quite similar to what they want in Arizona, uh, legalizing it for purchase for adults 21 and older, you know, taxes on it. Um, another thing it calls for is to exempt medical, 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 yeah, sorry, medical marijuana from 
some taxation, and then it's just it basically legalizes it um, to, uh, to for people to buy it and mm-hmm. you know use it recreationally. No more, you know, just it's a medical reason. It's like people, I want to you know I want a gin and tonic after a hard week of work. You know, I want to light up a doob after a hard week of work, um, which is something. Uh, a lot of Americans do <laughs> like it, you know, whether some people like it or not. Um, yeah, I, I think I mean, a recent I, poll I, showed like 30% of Americans or something like that. Yes, and I, I suspect it's even more than that, and people may not wish to admit it, and that's their business. Uh, you know, but I, I think just... Yeah, it's like how many people would have said that they don't drink alcohol during Prohibition, right? You know? Precisely, precisely, and... I don't know if it's, to me, I'm not sure one can compare. There are certainly a lot of comparisons to for marijuana and alcohol in terms of public acceptance of usage uh, and to the availability of it. Um, but I think kind of the argument over legalized pot is still different, and it, it's because of cultural factors as well. Um Obviously, the 2010 initiative here in California didn't pass because turnout was so low. But I heard a a well-known commentator here say because too many baby boomers, for some odd reason, there was a little bit of a rebellion on their part in terms of legalizing this. Uh That might seem a bit of a stretch. They don't like the idea that, oh, maybe their grandkids can get easy access to pot. In other words, you know, uh, what I did... I did. You can't do. <laughs> and you know, the conversation so many parents have with their children or what we saw with our own parents, I'm not talking about hard drug use, but about alcohol consumption. I, I will just say in my household, there was never any talk with my mother about drug use or, or alcohol use, other than my mother just said, don't do it in excess. <laughs> uh, don't get into trouble. Don't ruin your life. You know. Don't go to jail. Don't wake up on the front lawn. Please. Precisely. Don't, don't be driving drunk. Don't be driving stoned. Um, I mean, my mother was a very laissez-faire type of parent in terms of, you know, you have to make your own decisions about things you're going to do, and then you have to live with the consequences. And, you know, fair enough. Um, but I think just this is sort of a last, and I, again, I, I know the culture wars can be so overplayed and uh, cliche, but I do think there is a bit of that going on here. Um, and it dates dates back to obviously the 60s and the whole hippie movement and when bought the game something that really was in the public mind whereas right. before it was only you have cats in the jazz bars that did it right right or you know really more people were smoking marijuana and had been doing so for hundreds and hundreds of years sure. but again it didn't become part of that public consciousness or the culture the way it is today um I, but I, I see personally just the trend towards marijuana legalization with Colorado and Washington being the first serious bellwether states. I just see it as progressing and more states either decriminalizing it or saying, okay, we're going to legalize it and we're going to regulate it just like we do tobacco and right. alcohol. Right. You want to go and say it's fine, but you're going to have to be a certain age and we're going to, we're going to, and we're going to bust people that aren't. Although, let's face it, there will be more than a few lawbreakers who get away with buying it when they shouldn't, just like people who shouldn't be buying alcohol do it. Welcome to a normal free society. Yeah, you know, I mean, alcohol is a 21-year-old provision, but how many high school parties there's booze at? You oh, know, my it's gosh. Like... I, 
I went to a few myself. I'm not saying I got drunk, but I saw a lot of other kids hitting the bottle when they shouldn't have been doing it. Thank God nobody got hurt. Yeah, but you know, I mean, it's somewhat it's, inevitable, I think, uh, for eventual legalization. I mean, we, you know, we were talking about when we were kids, and obviously we'll, we won't necessarily have to admit that we've probably been on this planet for nearly five decades at this point. But um, when we were kids, there wasn't really any singers, actors, famous people who would who would admit to it. And we know, especially now, that that was still going on, but it was one of those things that, you know, if you didn't ne- never got caught, you were fine. I mean, hell, you can talk about what happened to Robert Mitchum, right? In the 40s, he got busted yeah, for smoking absolutely. weed yeah. and, 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 right. and got lambasted for it. But today, you have a totally different culture. So whether it's this election or an election 20 years from now, you know, you didn't have the Snoop Dogs of the world or, you know, you have the whole segment of of yeah. of of people who are influencing younger folks who it's just one of those things. And I think it just becomes it's become so mainstream, so mainstream enough that it can actually be on a ballot and be, you know, you can get 200,000 people nearly to sign a petition um, where you right. wouldn't have done that 40 years ago. You wouldn't have gotten that many people to sign a petition because nobody would want no. to put their name on it. But it's it's no. just so culturally more acceptable, and these kids that are coming up, and when you lose that last generation, um, you talked about the baby boomers that just couldn't come on board in 2010. It's changed six years from now, but you know, say another 16 years from now, if it doesn't pass now, you know, you have to say that you know when you got Snoop Dogg as a as a real grandpa, uh, it's it's hard to think that it's not going to change eventually. Um, I, I- Agree. I just I think even you have a lot of prominent conservatives, including well Gary Johnson, the libertarian senator, sure. saying, "Look, and again, I don't know if I totally agree with this. All drugs should be legal, uh, because you know, it's one thing if somebody's high on pot; it's another if somebody is addicted to cocaine or heroin. Um, unfortunately, that tends to people react differently on those drugs, and uh, and it, it, nobody again. I, yeah, that's another debate for another day. I think on total legalization, right? <laughs> Precisely. I, it's, and again, that's kind of the fear-mongering. Well, I don't know if that's a fair thing to say, but people who say, oh, we're great if we legalize this, what's next? Crack, meth, and, and that gateway uh, theory and, and the slippery slope, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, you know, and I don't see this country. I think while many states in this country would be willing to have marijuana legalized, I, I, you know, but, and it is going to take time, and I think we're going to see fits and starts these issues may pass in California and Arizona, respectively. Um, and I think if they're successful, then you're going to see other states, even more states, more states conservative, or even more conservative than Arizona, saying, hmm, maybe, you know, the, the tide has turned and it's okay for us to say, let's legalize pot when have certain limitations on it. And we can start having more revenue. Because, again, there's this huge market going on for it. It's just we aren't involved in it. Um, because I think, for the most part, the, the legalization in Colorado and Washington State has been considered, some problems aside, which there are always going to be, anytime you have people ingesting an intoxicant, be it alcohol or what have you, um, but both, I think it's, it's fair to say the legalization efforts, and they're still very new. And those states are successful. And so, uh, obviously, that helps Arizona and California. 
And again, if those pass and we see in another five years that, oh, the world didn't fall apart, then you're going to see other states, including the ones you wouldn't think, look, take a very serious look at legalization. Yeah, you know, there's there's something to be said about not having underground black market economy going on. Oh, well... And, Again, you know, I mean, we can get into that of I mean, how many dollars disappear on. And, you know, and I think that's what Johnson states and why he's pro, you know, legalization of everything. It's just because, you know, you get it out in the open. It's a lot better than having things behind. But, you know, I don't want to, you know, we don't wanna, I don't want to belabor that point too much. And I, I just think it seems to me both these for Arizona and California, it seems like they're doing a better job with campaigning mm-hmm. um, overall. Especially with California in 2010, to me, the proponents of that really didn't do a good job with making their case. Um, maybe they've learned from that, and Arizona has learned from that as well. And I, again, I think if turnout is high enough, uh, I, I think there's a strong chance both pass. Yeah, you know, and, and, and as far as it going onto the ballot, um, it seems there was, you know, the judge, uh, Judge Jolyn Gentry, who's who's hearing the the case uh, brought again, brought by the opponents that um, it's not clear enough. Um, it it kind of uh, did a bait and switch. I think was one of the uh, words of the attorney uh, Brett Johnson, who is who's who's fighting um, to get it uh, not placed on the ballot. Um, but at, at one time, you know, in the in the beginning, she stopped him and asked him, um, "How can you do that?" Uh, it took you four pages, um, is what she said. It took you four pages um, to to argue uh, what was wrong or to describe what was in there. So how do you take four pages and make it a hundred words? Um, but at the same time, she also seemed to. Um, wanting to know whether there was things that were fraudulent or things that can't be done or things that violated state law. And, and so she was interested in it. Um, you know, so from sitting in the, in the courtroom, kind of judging what her body language was, how she talked to both parties, which is really all you can really get out of some of these hearings. Um, it kind of leads me, I mean, if I had to, I would lean more to where she's going to let the people vote on it. Um, right. and then, you know, one of the arguments and, and kind of what usually happens in the initiative process and sort of what, um, the proponent of the, of, of the measure, uh, the, the attorney representing those who are, who are supporting the measure, um, was making was, you know, you let the people decide and if it passes and then there needs to be litigation made to kind of hammer out these details on what's, what's able to be done and what's not able to be done, then let's do that then. Um, and it seems to me like, you know, if, again, if I, if I had to make my guess, um, that she'll, that she'll allow it to go on, um, there'll probably be an appeal to that very quickly. And, um, either the appeal will be, will be denied, um, or if it, if it is even heard, it'll probably still make the ballot. Cause I really think that, you know, I think when it comes down to the crux of it in Arizona, they don't really like to take initiatives off, um, and you have arguments over whether the whether the the signatures were valid or not, but you usually don't have arguments that the summaries don't qualify. There's a couple uh, legal arguments that were made on why things were thrown out in other states, and 
a, a time or two in Arizona. But this doesn't seem like one that's going to make it. Now, again, I could be totally wrong on that, but it seems like they'll let it go through and then just argue argue the details later. And who knows what will really be there, but you know that the general gist um, of, 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 of legalization will be out. And um, I really think it's they're trying to, especially it's very obviously conservatives, um, we could talk about the Republican Party here really fighting against it because we – you know the 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 known entity is the Arizona Chamber of Commerce and Industry is just basically an extension of, uh, you know, t- to a certain level to the business interests, but mainly to yeah. the Republican ideals in this state. Um, they're kind of like there to operate independently, but in 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 concert with. Um, they don't want it to go that far because there was medical marijuana was approved twice in Arizona before it finally was approved the last time. Mm-hmm. And in between that time, there was a law that was passed that said that the legislature could no longer rescind um, over with a super majority or with a simple majority. They now needed a super, super majority. Um, so they're trying to stop this before it gets there because they know they can't do it anymore. Uh, they can't. They can't. There's no way to stop them. If the people actually vote for this legalization, it's going to be what happens in Arizona, and and so yeah. they're they're you know they're trying to fight it early, and you know, you know, good on them. They're trying to go through what they have to do, but you know, I think that when it comes down to it, we live we have a populist constitution here in Arizona, and it's probably going to make it onto the ballot, whether it passes or not, is a totally different matter because it seems like there's a lot of good arguments and if they want to spend the money and i think that's another point is they don't want to spend the money also to fight this and and then like we talked about it it brings out the wrong kind of voter to the to the to the polling place in november for them um and right. so for a lot of reasons they don't they just don't want it to be on the ballot and 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 that's what this is about but i don't know whether they're able to stop it yeah and I just think the trend is going towards legalization. Um, there's always a kick point that happens. Um, this may be where that is the tipping point. Well, we'll have to see. I mean, I think it's going to be a very interesting last, you know, two and a half months. I think is what we got left, you know, for the most part. Um, right. You know, I, I've been. I know I've been burning my phone's battery down usually by, you know, mid <laughs> midday, any moment I have, I'm reading what's, what's new and what's going on. And, um, you know, us political junkies, we love this, this time of the year. Um, oh, yeah. and this, in these uh, every four years. So two weeks, hopefully with no vacation and, no, and nothing going on, we can do it again. Uh, yes, I look forward to it. And, and we'll see what happens. We'll see if, 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 if Trump has climbed in the polls We'll know by then whether the, um, the marijuana initiative has made it, and um, we'll probably be able to talk, uh, uh, you know, primary election results in Arizona. Right. Because it'll be the day before, um, I guess, the primary election, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I just expect, I think, for not only the national election, but for many state elections and state initiatives, like lots of concerns. Well, Karen... I look forward to talking to you about this again in another two weeks. Thanks again for joining me this morning. Thank you, John. And I hope everybody has a good day. Farewell. And again, I'm going to sign off with my normal sign-off. Always go to the polling place, but make sure you close the curtain. (laughs) 
Bye, everyone. Right, thank Thanks, Karen. Bye-bye.